Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. It's your host, Andrew Slotnick, and with me for the first time is Justin Catches. Super excited to finally collab with you, and we are so lucky to have Alan Gallo, EVP of Global Business Services at American Express, a double Sterny and chair of the Alumni Council with us in the studio today. Alan joins us to discuss his time at Stern, his views on leadership at a global company, and what it was like to grow up in New York City during the 1980s. Special thanks to everyone in the booth and Brian Scalisi, who is our associate producer for this episode, and drum roll, please. One of the new co-presidents of Stern Chats next year. Brian, congratulations. Thank you, Justin. Uh, yes, the uh, the rumors that are, you're hearing on the streets are true. Myself and Alexa Parsons are the new co-presidents of Stern Chats, and we are very excited for the upcoming year. That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for your work with Alan, uh, and we really look forward to what you do with the show next year. Andrew, are you ready to get started? Cue that music. University Stern Campus, this is Stern Chats, the podcast that tells the hidden stories between the lines of someone's resume. In the interest of serving the Stern community, building relationships, and unlocking important life lessons, we present these stories to a wider audience. Welcome back to another episode of Stern Chats. I'm Andrew Slotnick. And I'm Justin Katchis. And with us today in the booth is Alan Gallo. Alan, thank you so much for coming in and joining us. My pleasure. So in true Stern Chats fashion, would you mind taking 30, 45 seconds and just introducing yourself to our audience? Yeah, so I'm Alan Gallo. I'm an executive vice president at American Express. I joined American Express three weeks after I graduated from Stern undergrad, 32 years ago. Uh, and uh, a few years later, I got my MBA also at Stern at night while I was working, and I've never left Amex. I met my wife in Stern undergrad as well, Christine. Uh, we've been married for quite a long time now. We have two grown children, and we live in Brooklyn. That's awesome. We have so much to, to ask you about. I think that's amazing. First of all, the one thing that struck me was you only had three weeks off from when you graduated until when you started at Amex. Um, Justin and I are graduating soon. I can't even imagine that, but we'll dive a little bit deeper into uh, your experience there. So we'd like to start all these interviews with, uh, you know, tell us about where you grew up. What, what, did, what did a young Alan look like? What were his hopes and dreams? And, and talk to us about what that was, that was like. So I grew up the youngest of five boys uh, on Staten Island. So I'm a local guy. My wife, Christine, grew up the youngest of five children also in Queens. Really? And we both, uh, you know, met when we were commuters here to Stern. And back then, uh, Stern was mostly a commuter school. Um, but growing up the youngest of five boys, like you're always on the bottom of the pile sure. uh, in terms of wrestling and, and sports and that sort of thing. So uh, All brothers. All, all brothers. I'm one of four boys, yeah. so like, oh, I, nice. can, I can imagine. You get, you get yeah, the but I'm the oldest, then. though. I, uh, did, I did the beat. So you were on top of the yeah. pile. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's good. But it was fun. We, you know, we were, um, you know, a blue-collar family. My parents didn't really have any money. Uh, and, you know, times were different back then when uh, Stern is the best school that I applied to. And I got in, and uh, we didn't have any money, so, uh, you know, my mother called the school and asked for more scholarship money, <laughs> something that's probably hard to Good do moms. nowadays. Yeah, Good moms. yeah, I'm so glad she did, <laughs> because it was better than the other schools that I had uh, applied to, so I always thank her for that. So, uh, But we were so blue-collar, back, uh, back to your 
question, Andrew, about the three weeks. This this will give you a sense. So three weeks between the job I had when I was in college and graduating and the job I was going to start at Amex. So you figure, geez, three weeks, I'll go to Europe, I'll trek across the United States, whatever. I was so petrified of not having a paycheck for three weeks that for those three weeks, I worked for my brother. Uh, in his what office. did your brother do? He was an investment banker. Okay. Uh, he had an office in the World Trade Center. And I was like, uh, I, I, I'm, not, I'm out of work for three weeks. Like, w- will you take me on? He's like, yeah, yeah, we could use some help. So I didn't go to Europe. I didn't do any of that. I worked for him for three you weeks. You went to work. <laughs> uh, I just went to work. And it's, you know, it just shows you, like, when you grow up, you know, without money, it's like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? You're just, you're just, you know, petrified of not eating and stuff like that. That's <laughs> crazy. It's very different. Can you imagine this day and age just walking up to a friend or a family member at an investment bank, hey, can I come work with you for three weeks yeah. and then I'm, yeah. yeah. I'm going to go to Amex in a little bit. <laughs> I'm going to start my real job, yeah. That's and exactly what I did. Tra- real job, Like That's three awesome. Mondays to Fridays, I went into the World Trade Center, I worked for my brother, and then at the end of that, I showed up at Amex the following Monday. Oh, wow. So is there, when you think back on this on this period of your time, are there certain like values or lessons or memories that kind of stick out to you and, and have helped you through your career as you progressed? Yeah, I mean, when you grow up as part of a big family like that, you you really feel like people have your back, you know, so it gives you a certain confidence, honestly. I mean, whether it was in school or uh, at work early in my career, you know, I always felt like, you know, I wasn't going to be out of my league. And um, one story that brings that home, uh, my first job when I was in high school was working at Wendy's. You guys know Wendy's, right? Sure, of course. The triple, of course. The triple, right? The The triple. The triple's burger. So, Frosties. Um, That's what I'm going for. <laughs> there you go. For, oh, gotta love the Frosty. Uh, so I'm leaving my house uh, for my first day on the job after school. I'm like a sophomore in high school, whatever. And my brother's a few years older than me. He sees me I'm about to get on the train to go to uh, Wendy's. And he stops me and he says, Alan, I, want you, I know this is your first job, first day on, the, on your first job. I want you to know all those people around you, they're going like, to seem like they know what they're talking about. They're going to try to boss you around. They get up in the morning and they put on their pants one leg at a time. They're people just like you, like don't be intimidated. And I, I guess I might have been 14 years old and like it never left me. So in all my years at Amex, when I'm in a conference room across the table from the CEO, from the CFO, from a board member, you know, I'm not phased. I, that, that advice has always stuck in my head. When you started at Amex, um, did you feel like that you were – oh? I'm just this kid from Staten Island, from The Rock, getting started here. What was the culture like? Were they pretty open to, to having you coming in, starting from NYU, getting you started on projects early to build that confidence? Yeah. I, Amex is, was a great place to work back then, and it still is, honestly. But the greatest thing about my experience is that, and the reason I joined Amex, because I was working for this accounting firm at undergrad, and I figured I would just stay there. Uh, but in the career office here on campus, Amex was interviewing, and they had this little pamphlet and it said, join our financial management training program. It's a two-year program. You do four six-month assignments. Um, and, you know, you're not guaranteed a job when it's over. But, you know, most people find a job. You, if you're good enough, you know, you'll get a job. But importantly, you get to do four different things in two years. And I look back on that. And after two years, like, I knew enough about treasury. I knew enough about tax. Mm-hmm. I knew enough about investor relations. I knew enough about financial analysis. And in two short years, I crammed in a lot of experience. And that diversity of experience, I feel like, still pays off for me. So it was a great program. uh, And uh, uh, I did get a job coming out of it. And it's been 30 years since then. Yeah, it's cool. I mean, even 
to, to, even in, you know, even today, rotational programs in finance are still common. Like the uh, the rotational program at Amazon is the one that I'm going to, and it's the same thing, right? Like three years, you rotate through a bunch of different functions. That's um, great. One of the things I want to I want to ask you is about role models, mm-hmm. right? You've had a long career at one company. Um, you, know, you grew up with older brothers, so I imagine they served as kind of your early role models. It certainly sounds like it when when they give you advice. You know, on your way to Wendy's, your first job. You know, who has been a mentor for you, and and who, uh, you know, how have they kind of influenced the way that you think uh, and manage your own career? Yeah, I've had uh, you know, starting with my parents and my brothers, some really good, uh, some really good instructors in life, <laughs> and you know, at the family level, it was mostly about working hard, doing the right thing. You know, a lot, a lot of, it's a lot of the same values. You know, those of us who are lucky to grow up in those kinds of families have. Uh, but at Amex, I've worked for a lot of great bosses over the years, for sure. Uh, and uh, I'll, I'll point to one. He's since retired, but he was the CFO at Amex. Uh, for many years. His name is Dan Henry. Uh, and he was a great uh, mentor and, and boss and coach. Uh, and what was two things he really, uh, uh, he taught me. One is that he was the CFO of American Express through the financial crisis of 2008, 2009. Uh, and as harrowing as that was, uh, I never saw him lo- lose his cool. Uh, I never saw him yell or uh, get angry. You know, when you're uh, I think when you when you want to project as a leader in a big company and especially in a finance function, you know you've got to be the person muddling through quietly without losing your cool. Otherwise, the people around you are going to lose confidence. Uh, and I always uh, took that as a role model moment, and I've tried to you know uh, exhibit that behavior uh, ever since. The other thing he was good at, he was good at identifying your weakness. And, you know, this is a key thing about leadership. I'm sure you guys have heard this before. You know, um, when I ask for feedback from my team, I always say to them, you know, love the positive feedback, shower me with it, all good. I'll beam when you tell me how great I am. But, (laughs) you know, you're not leaving until you tell me there's one thing I could do better. Uh, Because that's the real valuable feedback. And sometimes it doesn't feel great when you get it. But when I look back in my career, uh, you know, the moments where people really told me where I was off or just the thing I was missing to be able to move ahead or, or move uh, or move up, uh, those were really valuable moments. And it didn't feel great at the time, but I'm so glad that I got that kind of feedback. And he was, uh, he was great at doing that, and I, I tried to model that behavior myself. So it sounded like you had a really strong support system both in your family um, – and and later at Amex, I guess, was that one of the reason why you wanted one of the reasons why you wanted to stay in New York was to to stay connected with your family, go to a great company like Amex. And if that was the case, can you describe a little bit what New York and NYU and Amex were like back then? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, uh, you know, I I've been lucky enough to I've been able to travel the world with Amex and sure. see a lot of uh, of the world and meet a lot of different people, and I do that uh, to this day. But what, what has anchored me in New York is that for both my wife and I, you know, we have large extended families and they're all around here. Mm-hmm. Most of them are around here. Uh, and it's a hard uh, um, support system to leave behind. Uh, so, so to answer your question, yeah. Uh, and I've been, you know, that, that's harder to do maybe where, when you live in a place where there aren't a lot of jobs or, there, or you want to work for a big company and you live in a place where there aren't a lot of big companies. You know, New York City, like if you're going to be like, 
weighed down by home, by your hometown. It's not bad if your hometown is New York City. I have to say that. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's not a lot bad of big to go companies. To school in New York <laughs> you know, <City. laughs> you can go to school at a school like Stern if you're lucky enough to get into Stern. You know, to work at a place like Amex, Goldman Sachs. You know, not a bad. You know, not a bad place uh, to hang. Having said that, the city, you know, was a very different place back then, right? Uh, and um, uh, you know, it was far more dangerous than it is today. That you know, that's just uh, mm-hmm. the reality. Uh, and um, Stern as a school has definitely improved on many dimensions since then, um, including there's a lot more opportunity for people to live on campus. So, you know, when I went to Stern in the 80s, it was 80-20 commu- commuters to people who lived on campus. Mm-hmm. I think that's more than flipped now where most people live on campus. And it's a much better experience, I think, uh, you know, removing that commute from the equation. And of course, people from all around the country and all around the world come to work at Stern. And, you know, the city's just a nicer place. It's just, uh, uh, it's not nearly uh, as dangerous. You know, Washington Square Park was the place you went to score drugs. Uh, I didn't do that, but, uh, <laughs> but I could have. Disclaimer. I need to put you a disclaimer know? in. I mean, we have lots of different <laughs> listeners here. You know, and sometimes you walk through the park just to see, like, you know, who would be accosting you exactly. or who would be, uh, who would be offering you what. Um, but I think <clears throat> very much linked to the school's evolution is the city's evolution because there's just more parents around the world who want to send their kids to, uh, to uh, New York to go to school than there used to be back then. And I got to believe it's easier to attract faculty who might be working at a beautiful campus in California or a beautiful mm-hmm. place in Boston or whatever now to come to New York City because, you know, it's just a much nicer place to live than it was back then. I feel like it's changed so much. So... Um a little bit about me. I, I grew up in the New York area until I was eight, and then I moved to Virginia. And after I graduated from UVA, I was like, there's no way I'm coming back to the New York area. I remember it from when I was little. Lo and behold, seven and a half years later, I'm here, and it's new, and it's beautiful, and I'm going to be continuing to stay here, just seeing how much it's changed um, has been has been really great. But so I, I got to tell you, about, oh, my kids ask me, like, what was New York back like back then? And I always tell them to watch the movie The Warriors. Did you ever see the movie The Warriors? No, what's that? It's, it's a movie from the late 70s about street gangs, and they're riding the subway, and you see all the graffiti and everything. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to be scared out of your wits, watch the movie The Warriors. But that's what the city was really like back then. It was, you know, when you're young, it was, it was actually kind of exciting, you yeah. know, because you're, like, intrigued, and, oh, my God, it's dangerous. And you know, that's, <laughs> But as you get older, you're like, well, dangerous is dangerous, so I want to stay away from that. Yeah. And you went to school part-time while you were working at Amex for your MBA, mm-hmm. right? So how, how was that experience? So Andrew and I are both full-time students, but we have many uh, friends in the Langone program. And I'm always amazed that people are able to hold down full-time jobs and then come to class and, and do that at night. How was your experience going through that? Uh, it was tough. I have to say I'm glad I did it when I was young because the physical energy you need to like work all day and then, uh, and then go to school uh, is high. And all I remember from that time period is having bloodshot eyes all the time <laughs> because, you know, you know, you didn't get a lot of sleep. Um, and also, you know, um, you know, you didn't have like mobile computing you had today, what you have today. So I remember um, uh, finishing my papers at work on the computer at work and then sort of dashing to class before class got out to hand in my paper that night. Luckily for me back then, I graduated when um, the Stern Graduate Campus was still downtown. Uh, it was on Trinity Place. Much more convenient. Uh, behind Trinity Church. So it was convenient for me because I worked downtown. Amex uh, has been in the World Financial Center that entire time? 
Yeah. Okay. We moved there in the mid '80s. So, Um, but it was rough. It's not what I would really recommend. But uh, the company back then paid for my education. Mm -hmm. I was able to continue uh, with work without any debt. So I'm glad I did it. But it's the thing you're you're happy that you've done it. You're not necessarily happy doing it. (laughs) That's such a great thing back then. A lot of companies would pay for MBAs. I mean, you, you still see it, right? But yeah. it's definitely fewer and fewer, and people are using the tool as a, as a way to transition. But it was really great that you were able to go through the, the, the part-time program and advance your career while going to work and, and having it paid for. You mentioned you started in this um, financial rotational program. Obviously, you've had some senior roles in finance, and, and now you work in a more strategic role. Maybe can you just summarize that? We can dive a little bit deeper into certain points. Sure, yeah. So 32 years with Amex, you know, the first 28 of them were in finance. So I'm basically a finance professional by trade. You know, over the years, I led corporate planning and I was ended up being the the CFO of just about every division at one point or another (laughs) in Amex. Um, Then they uh, asked me to take on a strategy role, which evolved into the job that I have today, which is leading global business services. So global business services is the group that basically do- provides all of the internal shared services to uh, to the colleagues uh, across American Express. So that's uh, real estate. We manage all of our facilities. Uh, procurement, we sort of manage all the company's vendors. Uh, we still have that strategy team that looks at cross-company uh, strategic questions and implementing change. Uh, we have a group called Sales and Business Enablement that uh, perform a lot of the back office functions for sales and client managers. Uh, and then we have what we call the uh, Global Services Learning Network. So the, the team that trains all of our customer care representatives uh, is uh, housed within GBS as well. The common thread across all these groups is that our customers are our colleagues of Amex. We don't really deal with internal customers. We're providing what we hope is great service to the colleagues uh, at American Express so that they can concentrate on uh, providing great service uh, uh, to external customers. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's a service-related calling, and you know what we're doing now is, is trying to improve that service uh, every day, and like everybody else uh, in the world, you know, linking it more to the technology that people use day in and day out. So you've had many different leadership roles, of which you just enumerated uh, several. I'm curious, what does leadership mean to you, and how how would you define your leadership style, and 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 maybe give us an idea of how that's evolved over the course of your of your 32 years at Amex? Yeah, well, I've definitely learned to be more humble uh, uh, than uh, I was early in my career, as I've learned that you know the world and the world of business are complicated places, and there's always more to learn. Uh, so I've been on my own leadership journey. Um, but what I've tried to do uh, for the last several years is think about my role in terms of uh, the servant leadership construct. So I don't know if you guys have heard of that, but you know there have been books written about this. But the basic notion behind servant leadership is your job as a leader is to serve the people you work for. Mm-hmm. And therefore, you make your own personal preferences or style subservient to their needs uh, in, uh, in support of the common purpose that the group has. So in other words, you know, if we're, if I'm leading the two of you, uh, and we have a common purpose, uh, of, you know, uh, you know, lifting this tower over here and getting it over a wall, right? I've got to think about, uh, Andrew's strengths. I've got to think about Justin's strengths 
and I have to put aside like, you know, the way I want to do it and figure out how the two of you with your individual strengths can work together to get that done in the most efficient way. Isn't um, that challenging at scale, though? I mean, you're managing, you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people. You know, that, that, that's easy when it's, it's two of us sitting here lifting a tower. But how do you manage that on, on you know, at scale at a company like Amex? Yeah, uh, you have to start with the people who work directly for you, right? Uh, but you also have to collect data. To your point, uh, you know, I have about 1,500 people in my organization. Mm -hmm. You're never going to get to know 1,500 people on a personal basis, <laughs> That's a right? lot of lunches. That's a lot of, that's a lot of lunches, <laughs> right? So, um, so you really have to be collecting data on what people need. So I'll give you an example. I had a town hall last year, uh, and we did a live poll, right? Uh, and I, I said, okay, Early in the year at Amex, we asked people to do a development plan. Okay, so it's not your goals at your job. Development plan is what, what do you want to get better at to further your uh, career or even personal aspirations. Some people put on their development plan, I'm going to do yoga this year. Like, mm -hmm. seriously, like we want people to think about, you know, how they want to improve. Holistically. Yeah, yeah. So um, early last year in a town hall, we I put up a slide and I did a live poll. And we gave people like five or six choices, like common career development objectives. And I said, I want everybody to vote. What do you want us to focus on in terms of providing you training, guidance, whatever? Um, and uh, the two uh, top polling items that we immediately got from this live poll were people wanted more training and advice on networking and people wanted more training and advice on influencing. So um, I left that town hall uh, and I immediately crafted uh, uh, like a training module uh, on networking and influencing. Uh, and then as I traveled to the different locations where I have employees uh, across the world throughout 2018, I delivered that training. Uh, and I and the first page of the training was a snapshot of that live poll. Right. And I basically said, you asked to learn more about this. I'm about to tell you for the next 40 minutes or whatever, you know, based on my experience, how to improve uh, your networking skills and your influence, influencing skills. So that's an example of servant leadership mm -hmm. in the sense that I didn't say, I want the organization to get better at X, Y, Z. Therefore, I'm going to train them on that. We do that too, right? Because right? we're running a business, right? Mm -hmm. But I took the time to say, what do you want? Uh, and based on their response, I trained them on that. So while you're going through um, this transformation on a human capital level, um, one thing that we were made aware of is that you helped lead an agile transformation, implementing agile project management throughout your organization, American Express. Um, I've had a bit of experience with it in prior roles, and I think it's great. Maybe can you talk a little bit about how that went and, and what's been going on um, within your organization on that front now? Yeah, you know, like a lot of companies, uh, we are trying to uh, change the way we work over time to be uh, more consistent with uh, the way you need to deliver goods and services to your external customers and also to your internal customers or, or colleagues. Um, and to do that well in the world we live in today, you need uh, the right people in the room working together and iterating quickly uh, and uh, delivering and testing changes through tech, you know, through technology channels, because that's the way people experience goods and services in large measure uh, in 2019. So 
I have to say, you were generous in your description, I have to say the technology organization at America's Best started us on this journey and sort of pushed us toward this journey. My team's role over the last couple of years was to get business people to sort of catch up to the technology people um, and to really understand what it meant to be a product manager and work together, uh, most of the time co-located in a, on a scrum team in a, in a, a room uh, in the agile format and can you um, define agile yeah. for our listeners? Yeah, so you know, agile is basically we're gonna we're gonna have a cross-functional team together, uh, uh, settling on a common objective, and then working together um, to implement again, usually through some technology, uh, rapid changes in the way you deliver a good or a service, uh, and then measuring the results of that change against your objective, and then quickly adapting. And the key is that the people in the room are empowered uh, to make decisions on that on those changes without going leaving the room and going back up their individual chains of command. Okay, so for example, an agile marketing team, you might have a marketing person in the room, a communications person in the room, uh, you know, a copywriter, uh, somebody from compliance, somebody from legal, uh, somebody from the servicing group. And then somebody from like the operations team who has to actually deliver, you know, the email or the or the uh, um, the offer on the mobile app right. or something like that. In the old way of working, the marketing person comes up with an idea, sends it to the communications person, they mark it up, and they said, "Okay, now we got it. I think it's good." Then they send it to compliance. Right, be like a waterfall. I don't even have to tell you what happens. Oh then, yeah, right? compliance. Compliance, I com them. compliance takes out the red pen. <laughs> you know, we we were we were tracking one of these uh, changes, and um, there was a simple change somebody was was making, and we counted like a hundred emails back and forth over like a three week period to make like what seemed like a simple change in the old That's format. The key to getting all these people in the room is you scale, and they're usually like junior-ish people. These are not like, you don't have to like the CEO in the room or anything. Right. These are like fairly junior people in the organization. But you scale the decision to what they are both qualified and empowered by their leaders to, to do. So when we first went to senior management and said, we're going to do this, the people in this room, they're going to make the decisions. They don't have to go through their chain of command. Our senior management was like, wait, what? What, what are they going to do? <laughs> and I had explained to them, but this team, they're not empowered to like, American Express is going to go buy another company or we're going to wire a million dollars somewhere. The decision they're making is just they're going to change the copy on this right. email. It's more digestible in, in, in smaller amounts. Do you guys organize them through mm -hmm. sprints over periods yeah. of time, et cetera? Got Absolutely, it. yeah. And there's a common uh, release calendar and, you know, all those sort of things that software companies do. But the great thing about it is that, like for, in my example, the compliance person, that person's in the room. That person has the same goal. Everybody in the team has the same goal, which is, let, to use my example of an email marketing campaign, increase the click rate on this, on this email. And a couple of things that came out which were awesome. One is that uh, the compliance people you know, they'll get, once they're in the room, like, they'll get right on it and they'll be willing to take, you know, to be creative and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. They're, they're not nearly as much of a pain in the butt that you might think they are when they're in the room with a common goal working with you. Second thing is very interesting. The hypothesis of the team about what changes would, would perform well and what changes would not perform well was often reversed once the results were in. The things they thought would increase the click rate didn't, and the mm -hmm. things that they didn't think would increase the click That's rate did. So the power of testing with real life customers is is can't be uh, overestimated. And then lastly, and this was the best part of it, the the people in the room working in this format, um, it was a pilot. They didn't want to go back to the old way of working. Right. They each went to their leaders and they like don't 
take me off of this agile team. Just give this team more work. I always want to work in this environment because it's empowering. You're in the room with everybody else. You're signed up for a common goal and you're empowered to make the decisions without going through your chain of command. What was it like trying to convince an organization to do a new way of doing things, implementing a new way of, of going through this process? Because frequently as MBAs, we get told a lot, okay, when you graduate, when you go to work for your company, you're going to have a fresh set of eyes and you're going to be able to look at things differently. Maybe talk a little bit about that influence, which you alluded to before. Yeah, it's not easy. You know, as, uh, you know it's not just people think, well, Amex, it's, it's a company that's been around a long time. We were founded in 1850. But it's not so much the age of a company that, uh, that makes it hard to change. It's the success of the company. Our company's been really successful for a really long time. So... Um, but for whatever reason, you know, credit to the, the leaders of Amex today and, and their, their predecessors, we have the gene that we are always like paranoid that we're not, uh, we're not changing fast enough. So we're very sort of self-aware. Uh, having said that, you know, it took some years for the, you know, if you had our, uh, our chief information officer here, he was the one pushing this from the beginning and he would tell you, boy, it took some years to get the organization's head around this different way of working. It wasn't easy. Um, but when it comes to uh, influencing people, you know, starting small is a good idea. So the way we got over the hump was when I explained to people, the people in this room are not making decisions that are going to commit the company to a massive expenditure of resources or that's going to take on a great amount of risk for the company. We've scaled the decisions to their level. It's okay. Let them experiment. This new email campaign is going to be out there for a week. At the end of the week, we're going to tell you if it's going to right. work or not. It's not that bad. So um, – once it started working, the CEO said to me, I want all of our marketing communications to go through Agile. <laughs> and, I was like, and I was like, all right, hold on. We got, you know, was uh, this Ken? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, this was Ken Chenault at the time. Yeah. Got it. Very cool. Yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. Um, I heard an expression this summer at Amazon. It's like a two-way door. You can always walk back through it, right? Yeah. Um, so we've talked a, a lot about leadership um, and, and how to manage people. I'm, I'm curious from your, from your perspective – you know, a lot of us MBA students will be, uh, as Andrew said, right. We're going to be starting at the at the at you know a lower rung. Um, what does it mean to be a good follower, and what does it mean to be a good employee, and, and how do you manage up? Uh, when I was um, an undergrad, one of our one of our management professors gave me this book called Up the Organization. It's an old book. It was uh, ironically written by a guy who was the president of Amex in the like fifties and sixties, named Robert Townsend. Uh, and uh, he had this chapter uh, on on advice you know, it's sort of being an entry-level employee. Uh, and the way he phrased it was, I'm going to give you some advice on how to make your loss, make your boss look good uh, and get over your education. <laughs> so uh, it was sort of a snarky, uh, you know. Uh, Said in the basement of Stern Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> sounds about right. Uh, well, there was something um, uh, rogue about this professor I had, which was, you know, made it kind of fun. Um, but, you know, his basic point on making your boss look good, I, I did take that with me when I went, when I entered the workforce. Uh, and there's something to be said for it. I would phrase it a little bit differently. What I would say is um, uh, help solve your boss's problem. Um, and um, not on the first day in your job, right? So, you know, if, if you're trying to solve your boss's problem on the first day of your job, you know, now you're sort of like the uh, overconfident young person who's uh, like uh, who's kind of a know-it-all. Like you don't want to be that person, um, but you know once you feel like you've basically mastered uh, your job, and you know depending on your job, that could be three months, that could be six months, 
could be longer. But once you feel like you're in a good place, you're, you're doing all the basics well, start to draw concentric circles around your responsibility and politely and in a way that gives other people credit, um, try to think about the problems that your boss or your boss's boss is facing and figure out how can I help that person uh, figure out uh, how to progress on that problem. Um, and if you're consistently the person who's always solving his boss's problem, um, one day they make you the boss. Uh, so um, it's really uh, that attitude has really served me well. I've mm. always tried to make my job bigger, not on the first day, but at some point when you feel like you've mastered your job, don't just keep going back to your desk and doing the job well. Figure out how to expand your circle of influence. Along the same lines, um, Amex, I'm sure, is a company that thinks deeply about millennials and Gen Z. But from the workplace, what's it like working with them? What have you found um, areas that they've been really successful in? What are some thoughts that you might have for MBAs coming into a program like, like the ones Amex offer? On, mm. on how to be successful in those We're roles. asking for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. right. Yeah, no, I can have. We're <laughs> taking totally. notes over here. Please don't fire me. <laughs> <laughs> totally get that. Totally get that. Well, listen, I would, I have to say, I mean, I, first of all, you know, uh, I'll start by saying, you know, uh, I hate the notion of treating anybody uh, based on their membership in a group that they were born into. Like, right. you know, so, you know, with the caveat that everybody should be treated and evaluated as an individual, right? So I don't like generalizations that are made about my generation or any other. Um, I would say I get a big kick out of when, you know, we have an incoming class, whether it's I'm speaking at Stern or, or whatever it is. I like to start out by telling people, when I started American Express, the, I, you didn't have a computer at your desk. And there's a gasp that goes up in the room. It's just, it's all, it's just I just do it for fun now. Basically. Cards only have uh, magnetic strips. Yeah. Uh, right, yeah, right, yeah. That was like four years I know, ago, right? by the way. Uh, but... Uh, but it's just, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing. And I, when I tell my kids this, they're like, well, what did you do without a computer? I said, well, you had a pad and a pencil and a phone, you know. The abacus. Um, yeah, right. Abacus. You know, I, had an ad, I did have an adding machine on my desk with a tape in it. Yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> um, so, uh, so clearly, you know, uh, times have changed. And to state the obvious, you know, uh, you know, younger people when they join American Express are a lot more tech savvy, you know, uh, than I was. Uh, but I have to say, um, on uh, on balance, they come to the workforce uh, more prepared, I would say, than my generation, largely because uh, I feel like it's pretty obvious with you guys as MBAs, but even the undergrads, by the time you graduate undergrad from a school like Stern, you've been to a few countries probably. You've probably studied in one of them. You may have even worked in one of them. You may have even grown up in a different country, right? Uh, you've had all kinds of different work experiences probably. You've had all kinds of different nonprofit experiences. You know, sometimes I'm reading a resume of somebody who's graduating from Stern undergrad and it's like, I did this project in Africa to deliver water to this village. Uh, you know, I was worked on this literacy program in Europe. Uh, I uh, interned at Google uh, last summer, and I'm looking at this, and I'm, like, and I'm embarrassed. Like, what, a, what the heck have I done in my life? The, the undergrads have blown me away, to I mean, say the least. unbelievable. Like, just a case in point that I exhibited, that I saw recently um, in our real estate club, we were trying to get a, a big name to come in, and the undergrad version of the real estate club already had this big name scheduled, ready to go. He's coming and he's going to spend lunch with you. It was a big hotelier. And we're like, okay, so what? I guess that's that for the, uh, the <laughs> NBA club. Too? They're I mean, networking. They're, they, they had school year internships. Meanwhile, uh, I'm, 
I'm We're just trying to break. I'm, I'm trying to get through valuation. <laughs> That's about it. I know. I mean, they're very prepared. The undergrads they're for very sure. Very impressive, and and they they come to the workforce already with a diversity of experience that gives them like a maturity, and I I feel like. They're not intimidated. Uh, I do think, like, even I could see my kids uh, in their education growing up, um, public speaking and sort of the group projects, and, like, is a bigger thing than when I went to school. So uh, I, I'm just generally very impressed. I try to give them the same advice I was giving you guys, like, master your job, then try to make the circle bigger, and then try to do something different. Because you want to, early in your career, like I was in that training program, mm -hmm. the quicker you can put together those building blocks of diverse experiences, uh, the quicker you sort of grow into the kind of professional who people are going to give a lot of responsibility to. Uh, and if that's your objective, like that's, that's the way I would advise people to go about it. So one area that you're particularly involved with the NYU Stern community is you're very involved with the alumni community. Mm. Can you maybe talk about some of the work that the alumni community has been doing to, to um, incorporate events, to, to make sure the community stays strong once you leave? KMC and you leave the campus here. Um, what's been going on there? Yeah, so uh, I've been on the Alumni Council for many years now, and uh, for the last year or so, I've been the chair of the uh, Stern Alumni Council. Um, and this is not the sort of fiduciary board that helps the uh, uh, that helps kind of run the, the school with the administration. This is basically a council of alumni advisors, you know, advising uh, the administration. Uh, on how to stay connected to the alumni community, but also rallying support within the alumni community to come back to campus to engage with students, to engage with faculty, to have an alumni presence at the various uh, at the various events. Come on uh, podcasts, yeah, exactly. Come on podcasts, right? Um, and to raise some money, like you, you know, I mean that that's mm -hmm. a uh, that's part of it. We, um, you know, because of Stern's um, history as a commuter school. I think once you go back um, a few decades, the rates of participation uh, in uh, fundraising and in events, uh, I think, are lower, honestly, than other schools of our caliber. Uh, and that's a gap we're trying to close. Um, I think some of it will be closed by the passage of time. Sure. Because I'm looking at you two. You guys better be involved. When you're, when <laughs> we will. I don't um, even want to think about it yeah. for the second yeah. time during this interview. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> graduating in two months. I know. Um, so the passage of time will help some of it, but some of it is like us being out there to rally uh, and to represent the alumni community and to remind people that, you know, for most people, not everybody, for most people, like who you are as a person has a lot to do with your family, how you grew up, your relationships, and your college. For right? sure. Oh, absolutely. I certainly feel that way. I might feel that way more than most people because I met my wife uh, in undergrad and, and we, you know, and we've been together ever since. So it's really a part of my life. But even without that, I feel like the way I think, the way you know, I conduct myself in business, like in my stern education, there was a lot about being an ethical business person. I definitely took that to heart and, mm. you know, I've carried that with me in my career. Um, so, you know, you want to give back money wise, you want to give something back to students and the thing that people underestimate, honestly, is um, when you stay connected to the Stern alumni community, you have a valuable network of relationships that can be important in your career as well. Not just because somebody might lead you to a job that you might want, sometimes that happens, but because it's part of gaining that diversity of perspective that right. I talked about. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you want to get different job experiences. That's the most important way to get diversity of perspective. Uh, but you also want 
to maintain relationships out whatever company you're working uh, uh, in. You want to have a good network of people within the company, but you want to maintain relationships outside the company as well because you want diversity of experience, diversity of, pr of perspective, because that's what gives you the context and judgment to take on big assignments. Mm. Um, and, you know, if you want to advance in a company, you're basically saying, I want to get to the jobs that put me in a position to answer questions that have no easy answers. Right. And that data can't answer. Heck, they don't even need humans to answer those questions anymore, right? Machines mm -hmm. answer those kinds of questions. Right. So you want it, you aspire to these jobs where, uh, where judgment is key uh, and context and perspective are key. You don't get that by sitting at your desk just doing your work. You get that by reading different things, meeting different people, and having a network of people outside the company. A good place to start is with your classmates. The two of you are going to two different companies, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure those two companies can learn something from each other. I'm, I'm sure the two of you can learn something from each other as time goes by. I totally underestimated that in the first half of my career, and it's hard to catch up. For so sure. I encourage people to start doing that the day after you graduate. So that's, uh, I think, what, six weeks, Andrew? <laughs> <Jeez>. <laughs> so my question, I guess, is, you know, it's the day after we graduate. Um, we wake up, let's say, like one o'clock. You know, we've, yeah. we've had a few drinks the night before. <laughs> How do we get involved, and and what does that look like for for new and recent graduates? Yeah, so um, easy to get involved because you know nowadays just go on the website, and you know there's plenty of uh, ways to get involved. Uh, and of course, we want you to uh, donate. Uh, but the best way to get involved is to, uh, you know, join one of these council committees, essentially. We have committees that are associated with affinity groups. Like, right. so if you're a part of some affinity group when you're here as a student, you can sort of carry that on. Uh, we have committees that are involved in just staging the events, reunion weekend, the holiday party, that sort of thing. Uh, we have committees that are associated with sort of different uh, disciplines, right? Finance, uh, uh, consulting, et cetera. Um, so, you know, pick something you're interested, stay connected through a committee. Um, is there a geographic committee yes, as well? Because um, I'm, I know Andrew's going to be here, but I'm, I'm, you know, born and raised on the, on the East Coast and I'm moving all the way across the country yeah. and I'm not going to know many people over there. So yeah. is that also an avenue that I can explore? Absolutely. There are regional uh, uh, committees or, or, you know, sort of regional affinity groups for sure. You can do interviews. Are you excited for that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, for listen, new applicants. I, I do them already. So. <laughs> exactly. Right. Well, one of the nice things about going to a school like Stern, as big as Stern, is that you're going to Seattle. Like, you walk down the street, like, you'll, you will bump into a lot of uh, mm -hmm. Stern. Now, I'm not saying you'll recognize them. But my point is, like, I'm sure there's, like, a NYU alumni in Seattle Oh, yeah. You know, either LinkedIn group or some uh, forum. What about in the payments industry? I feel yeah. like there's tons of sternal alumni in the payments industry that you must come across all the time. You cannot swing a dead cat in the payment industry <laughs> without hitting a stern alumni. It's crazy. It's right? Half of Amex is stern, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I mean, there's so many stern people at Amex. The yeah. CEO of uh, PayPal, Dan Schulman, right. he's a sterny. He worked at Amex. I was his CFO for four, for the four years really? he worked at Amex. Got it. Huh. And then that guy went on to PayPal. was not happy with him. Uh, but I'm just... Uh, uh, if you're listening, Dan, I'm just teasing you. PayPal uh, doesn't but, give out points, I don't uh, think. <laughs> yeah. uh, but he's a stern guy, and I know he's, he gives back. He comes back and he speaks uh, mm -hmm. in the fintech forum and that sort of thing. So, Got it. Alan Gallo, it has been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you so much for coming in. Uh, it's been my pleasure. Before we end, um, 
I wanted to give you a chance. Uh, you mentioned you met your wife uh, here at Stern. I'd love to hear that story. Uh, and then, you know, of course, at some point, uh, I'm sure she and your kids will listen to the to this podcast. Uh, and I want to make sure you, you have a chance uh, to say anything to them that you want to. All right. Yeah. So uh, my wife, Christine, and I, I told you my kids are grown, uh, Andrew and Caroline, uh, and we live in Brooklyn. Uh, but listen, there's something just like old friends. There, there's something special about... Uh, um, meeting somebody before you were fully formed as an adult mm -hmm. uh, and then sort of growing up with that person uh, into adulthood. Uh, and I have friends that go back to grammar school as well. Uh, and when I'm with them, it feels the same as when I'm with my brothers because when there's, when there's people you know have seen you through that transformation and, uh, and as a result have seen you not just on your game and all good, but like seen you in bad situations, mm -hmm. which I won't recount. Uh, but you can imagine, you know, as growing up, uh, all, all the things that you go through. Um, so uh, that's part of what makes our relationship special. Uh, and I feel like we've really grown up together. Uh, and she certainly taught me a lot, including, um, you know, uh, just having a relationship with a woman who's not my mom, uh, because, you know, I was the youngest of five brothers. So mm -hmm. when we first met, he, you know, probably, you know, 20 yards from this very spot, because right. we, we went to school, Tish, uh, you know, the undergraduate school in Tish right here. Um, uh, when we first met, you know, we we're telling each other about our families. Oh, isn't that funny? We're both the youngest of five, that sort of thing. And I said, yeah, I, I have four older brothers. I don't have any sisters. And she said, yeah, I could tell. <laughs> and it took a moment to dawn on me that that wasn't a compliment. You know? <laughs> so, but our relationship started with that level of honesty. Very yeah. transparent. Uh, and I feel like it's kept us going, so... Uh, it's been nice. It's nice that we go to Stern events together and we're, we're listed both as alum. It's a nice feeling. That's very cool. Well, thank you again so much for being here. And uh, I look forward to uh, to the emails we get from you in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. <laughs> <All> <laughs> right. Thanks, Alan. My pleasure, Andrew, Justin. Thank you.